1: Welcome, Philistines, tennis pros, Kafka scholars. Oh, and an extra special shout out to my children of divorce out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. If you're a true slumberer, you already know what the every week homework is. It's to tell John Cusack to unblock us on Twitter. No, 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 well, it is, but we forgot about that a long time ago. No, but it is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you haven't hit it already, hit, hit, hit. If you're there and this is an option, and it usually is, why don't you give us a little five-star rating and write us a positive review? All that helps us grow this little beautiful thing called High School Slumber Party. We might be in our junior year, but we got a lot of growing to do, like a high schooler, you know? Even though I'm the teacher, some people have compared me to a high schooler in the past or quite recently. (laughs) Regardless, please hit those subscribe buttons. Also, tell a friend about all the great things we do here on High School Slumber Party. That helps as well. And of course, you have your homework assignments every week, and that is to listen to previous High School Slumber Party episodes. In the way past and in the near past, both are important homework assignments. And of course, you can listen on cageclub.me as well. That's kslub.me. That's kslub.me. That is the flagship for this program, and that is a place where you will find all our backlogged episodes as well as episodes of so many other great pop culture podcasts. So, in detail, that near-past homework, the days of near-past, that homework was, of course, to listen to the last two episodes. First, of course, last Friday, we talked... To all the boys, always and forever. And woo, there were some responses on social media. More on that in a second. But Jenna Guillaume was here, the great Jenna Guillaume. She, of course, is a YA writer. She comes on for all our Two All the Boys stuff. We're going to have her on again for some other stuff. But this was the end of an era, the end of the Two All the Boys trilogy. Hope you watched the movie. Hope you listened to the episode. Curious, curious your thoughts, because like I said, people had thoughts. <laughs> And of course, we dropped a special, awesome program earlier in the week. Of course, we talked about Boys in the Hood with my good friend and co-host for this particular program, Kirkland Shepherd. It's called the Black Teen Experience, and we're going to start to look at some... Black teen films, as simple as that. It was Kirk's idea. It was my idea. We put our minds together. And the first one we started with was Boys in the Hood. It's a soft launch. I think the show's going to sound a little bit differently as we go along. But essentially, we just put the mics on after watching Boys in the Hood. And we're like, let's talk. Let's talk about this movie, how important it is, how awesome it is. Definitely, definitely check that out. And there's more to come from me and Kirkland. There's more to come in that department. There's more to come with these black teen films. So I can't wait to talk more of them to movie homework assignments but of course this is friday and fridays are for fun remember that Fridays are a regular day there'll always be a friday episode and today is no different this friday is no different we are talking the squid and the whale with my good friend danny kin noah Bombach film oh man a lot of good buzzwords from this one philistine and degulas i can't wait for you to listen to it whoa 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 the bell didn't dismiss you I dismiss you. I should take off your final grade for getting up. Come on. We got more things to talk about before this great episode on the squid and the whale. And if you do want to improve that grade I mentioned, class participation is a huge part of your grade. A great part of your grade. Something that will vault you over the top or your other classmates. And, of course, you can participate on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and the participation has been good lately. So thank you, Slumberers, who have participated. Was gonna read some of that participation before you so rudely got up. I'm gonna do it anyway. Take your seat. Let's do this. Okay. So on Instagram, couple cool things here. Listener of the show, Bunny Carlos, made a couple comments. One of them was in relevance to our Twilight episode, of course, with Kate Hudson and Joe, too, our most recent Twilight episode. We were talking about, like, the angel wings that are kind of in the back of Edward. They're really, like, owl wings, but there's one scene where he's in science class, and so we're like, what other movies do that? And uh, Bunny Carlos commented that Miss Congeniality does it. When meeting Candace Bergen for the first time, she stands up while lecturing... Sandra Bullock and a giant poster behind her giving her a crown Ah, because it's a beauty pageant movie That's a great insight I haven't seen Miss Congeniality in a while But I definitely want to check that out Maybe I'll watch a clip Or maybe I'll watch the whole movie Who knows <laughs> Joe McGinnis hit us up on Instagram And it was about another episode that Kate Hudson was the guest on One of Kate Hudson's favorite movies The Heavenly Kid way back I think we, I know we recorded that last summer Or we had it come out last summer It's been a while, but that just goes to show you Class participation, your homework. Listen to old episodes. They're great. Some of them aged very well, including this episode on The Heavenly Kid. And he was just saying how it wasn't one of his favorite movies. And Kate Hudson was so right on the timing of the movie. Not the timing of when it came out. The timing, the timeline, if you will. How old his parents are. How old the kid is. Hilarious. Definitely a cool movie to check out. Definitely a cool episode to check out. And Joe McGinnis, thank you for that Uh, little message as well. Let's see who else. Let's go to the Twitter Of course, you know, one of our favorites, Shawnee, always posting good stuff, always tagging us in good stuff. Wow, Kate Hudson is a popular, popular lady because this was a tag to me and Kate Hudson and it was a shot from Twilight Baseball. Of course, they play baseball in the first film, Twilight Baseball, but without the blue tones, and it just looks really awkward and really weird. Hilarious. Check out our Twitter for that. I'll retweet that. Also, Bianca hit us up on Twitter about our last episode, the one Jenna and I had that I mentioned on To All the Boys, Always and Forever, closing those chapters. (laughs) She said, I just listened and was excited to listen, even though I didn't agree, with a lot what you both said it was still great listening and hearing your take on the third movie my movie rating was one three two and you know what bianca you're absolutely right a lot of people actually reached out and said that that they actually preferred the third movie over the second movie and sometimes the second movie over the third movie like me and jenna but mostly it was the third movie or the second movie people love john ambrose It's this John Ambrose connection. People were so upset that he lost at the end of that movie. I can't believe it. I love it. I love having this debate. I hope this debate, the John Ambrose versus Peter Kavinsky, keeps this film alive throughout the years. Who knows? But Bianca, you're not alone with that take. I promise you that. So guys, keep commenting, keep liking, keep participating on social media. I love it. But you know what time it is right now? It's time to get serious, because Danny, Kim, and I get serious, get real. This is a true, like, auteur's film discussion, I feel like. We get into the nitty-gritty. I love it, I love it. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother who's sitting at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with Hey, You. But of course, from the movie, it's the Jesse Eisenberg version. Class dismissed.
2: Hey, you. Out there on the road, always doing what you're told. Can you help? Can you help me?
3: Together we we stand. stand. Divided we we fall.
2: Perfect,
1: Well, did you write that song? Yes. I'm laughing now because like the shirt you're wearing, like I was going to, I'll show you before we leave, I was going to wear like a shirt that was so similar.
0: It does have a very Squid and the Whale box. <laughs> it does, it, it does. It looks and,
1: like it looks like the cover of the DVD. And maybe that's why I thought about wearing it and then I'm like, nah, I don't know, there's something weird about this. I'm glad I did <laughs> it because it looks so weird. I mean, no one could see us at the podcast, but still. No, I'm a Philistine. But yeah, today, the Squid and the Whale, um, I'm excited about this one. I have in my notes that I was going to joke around, like, I know you didn't bring me a gift this time, but apparently you did bring me a gift.
0: I did bring an item slash gift.
1: Okay, well, I was presumptuous of thinking it's a gift. It it's, be, it's
0: always a gift for you, it but it's always an item, item that's related to the movie that we're talking Ooh. about. Ooh. Is it
1: something that you want to open at the start, the end? Is there a cue in the middle? There's going to be a cue. I think. I think once the conversation comes up. Great, great. I can't wait. You've brought fun gifts in the past, including a very creepy one for Final Destination, which wasn't even planned, but guys, listen to that episode. But Dan, do you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party?
0: Uh, Yeah, let me give it a shot. My name's Danny Kim. I graduated from Northern Valley Old Dependent High School in 2005,
1: and our mascot is the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights, of course. Of course, we were high school classmates, and this actually came out in 2005. So,
0: 2005, yeah.
1: Do you remember uh, the first time we saw this movie or history with this movie? Yes, I do. Please discuss. <laughs> um,
0: so, there was a time shortly after uh, high school that I was hanging out with Gary Moreland, and you know, I'd go to his place, we'd hang out, drink beers, and our thing was we'd go to Blockbuster and rent a movie. And I saw Squid and the Whale on the
1: on the shelf at Blockbuster. At I remember seeing it there because like, yeah. you know, it had such a unique look compared to the other films.
0: That's what it was. It was the cover of the DVD. It was kind of like it had an indie feel to it. So I'm like, oh, cool, like an indie film. So I was really attracted to it. And I did recognize Noah Baumbach's name from it was probably from Life Aquatic. Yes, yeah. that movie came out a year before. Mm-hmm. And I think he wrote that movie. What were your first thoughts about it? Like, what's your history with this film? Is it a film you have watched a lot? or? So this is one of the few films that I've watched that's always stuck with me mm. since since the first time I've watched it. Like, whether it be, you know, re the movie over and over again or listening to the soundtrack. And it's just one of those movies that's so rewatchable.
1: I've probably sat through this movie at least 15 times. For sure. Uh, Like, my history is somewhat similar. I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it was at such a formative age. Obviously, for the both of us, we're the same age. I was really moved by it, because it's one of those first films that, at least for me, when I was trying to write a lot in college and just get into these movies, like, oh, shit... This is a comedy and a drama, and it's a movie that not everyone's talking about. And it's making me feel things that I haven't felt when I'm watching the Will Ferrell movie or (laughs) whatever else is out. It was this weird feeling that, and that I got from a lot of early Wes Anderson as well, but it was that weird feeling that it was funny, but I'm not laughing out loud, if that makes sense. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, like I said, Ben Stiller has a funny accent. Right. And dark and scary and... It's a movie I've revisited, not as much as you, but from time to time, and every time I have a little bit different of a read and feeling with it, it's a movie that deals with a lot of serious matters, like Divorce, Mm -hmm. which we'll definitely get into. I just remember being like mesmerized with it, and just being like, oh, movies can be like this. They don't have to have like a cutesy ending where everything's tied together, either. And I know there were tons of movies before this that did this, but for me, 2005... I was like, whoa, this is fucking awesome. This is such a New York movie. And growing up, like, I knew what the squid and the whale was, you know? Yeah. I'm sure you saw it too. Right. I was thinking about this now. I'm like, if you're watching this from like Iowa, like, what does that mean to you? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? To the end of the movie. So you remember seeing the squid and the whale in the. In the museum of oh Jersey. yeah the,
0: the diorama itself in the museum I think that's like in everybody's childhood actually who grew up in like the tri-state New York
1: area for sure I remember yeah. when they removed it they just have the whale now oh really they, I didn't
0: know they removed it oh years ago oh, like I't know that. maybe
1: even by the time that this movie came out or like soon after because it's not accurate like there's never been a documented whale and squid fight mm-hmm. it was literally just cool and someone like made the point like they've ruined it for everyone but <laughs> they made right. the point like this would never really happen in real life, so why is it in a natural history museum? So they put the squid in like its own box, and the whale is still
0: there. I think a lot of things is in the natural history museum. It's maybe like there wasn't much information or technology back then. It's, <laughs> oh, just, sure. it's just based off of like urban legends and allegories, and of course, the, the battle of the squid and the whale exists, but not in a literal sense not in the natural world, but maybe in, in literature, yes, it does exist.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it definitely comes from that, like, Moby Dick level shit. But I was like, oh, that's cool. So it seems like it happens there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is a movie that I'm glad you brought up. I wasn't thinking of it as a high school film, because I think there's a lot of ways to watch it. When you mentioned it to me, I'm like, hey, you know what? You're totally right. And Especially, again, finding out that this is like Noah Baumbach, like it's semi-autobiographical about his teenage years. Mm -hmm. And if you Mm -hmm. watch it with the Jesse Eisenberg uh, focus that he's the main character, it definitely is a teen film. It's heavy a teen film. The first times I watched it, i got to be honest with you, I really kind of looked at it from the parents' point of view more. I don't know why, because I was a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, now, especially on this watch, uh, I really was focusing on him mostly. and Definitely, definitely a lot to talk about. Let me read the back of the DVD here, So, for those of you not familiar with The Squid and the Whale. And I can imagine there's a lot of people not familiar with this movie, because for us, again, us growing up, it's a formative film at a formative time. But I don't think, like... A seventeen-year-old now has seen the Squid and the yeah. Whale unless he's very involved in the career of Nora Bobba. Do you remember this movie being in theaters? I don't remember. No, yeah, because no this
0: movie it's super successful, but it still flew under the radar.
1: It was the first time I saw it. Was the first time you saw it? Just like walking those hallways, the fake hallways, you know, like the <laughs> aisles, aisles <laughs> of, of blockbuster. Yeah, the aisles of blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, it wasn't just like the plastic things. They had the actual DVD on the front, mm. and just seeing that cover and being like. What is this about? Yeah. This guy yeah. from Dumb and Dumber has a beard. Like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's what it was. That was my reaction. I'm like, oh, Jeff
0: Daniels? And I'm like, who's Jesse Eisenberg? And I'm like, oh, I kind of know Noah Baumbach. And this, this cover looks cool.
1: Yeah, and Lauren Linney was like doing things. And I, I love Lauren Linney. I'm a huge Lauren Linney fan. But I didn't really know her so much at the time. I don't know. Like, you see that DVD... At that time. And so many people copied this aesthetic for like the next 10 years, including other like Noah Bombach things. The cover art. The cover art, yeah. Yeah. But it's so unique in 2005, at least I feel like. Yeah. So here's the back of the DVD. In his third feature, director Noah Bombach scores a triumph with an autobiographical coming of age story about a teenager whose writer parents are divorcing. The father and mother duke it out in half civilized, half savage fashion while their two sons adapt in different ways shifting allegiances between parents. The film is squirmy funny and nakedly honest about the rationalizations and compensatory snobbisms of artistic failure as well as the conflicted desires of adolescents for sex and status. In detailing bohemian bourgeois life in Brownstone, Brooklyn, Baumbach is spot on. By the way, whoever wrote the bag of this DVD is... More qualified in writing than the usual back of the DVD. It's not like, Jeff Daniels was Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see, where was I? Everyone proceeds from good intentions and acts rather badly in spite or because of their manifest intelligence. Fulfilling the best traditions of the American independent film, this quirky, wisely written feature explores the gulf between sexes, generations, art, and commerce. Brooklyn... M. Manhattan. Honestly, I read this every week. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most impressive ones yeah, I've ever read. It's yeah. like a college like student wrote that for their thesis. It Especially was- the, the
0: snobbish compensatory like yeah. artistic failures. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's totally uh, um, <laughs> Jeff Daniels character. Absolutely. Wow. Bravo. Whoever wrote this.
1: <laughs> Noah Baumbach wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they do write their own for these. I'm sure like small films, who knows? You know, we'll get into the production, but the one thing that I've said on this show before and that this makes me think of most is I always feel that the biggest part of growing up is realizing that your parents are people, you know? that yeah. That's huge. It's scary at first, and it it happens for different people at different times, a lot of people younger than others. Like, it's a big deal when you realize, oh, that's just a person like me, flawed and, what you know, They're not on the pedestal anymore. And this movie's totally about that, I think. Production, though, we already mentioned his name 20 times today, Noah Baumbach. This is his third film. Like you said, he co-wrote Life Aquatic with Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson was much more on my radar at this time than he was.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I started to dabble in him probably because of Wes Anderson. Had you seen any of Noah Baumbach's films before this one? No, this is the first movie I've seen of his. And uh, since then, let's see, I've seen like Margot the Wedding, Greenberg, Francis Ha, uh, Marriage Story. I think he's more of a name now, but I don't know. It says as its third film, Like at least for you and me and like kids growing up, he definitely was not a household name at this point. Mm-hmm. This is the film that put him solo on the map for me. Are you a fan of his work since then? Uh,
0: yeah, I've, I've seen Greenberg. I was, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I mean, that's the, I think that's the only thing I've seen if, from him afterwards.
1: It's funny that you've watched this movie so many times and like didn't just become a student of his, you know? Yeah, I, I yeah. I don't
0: know. This movie just really stuck with me because, um, like you said, there's so many different ways to watch it. Like I find myself lately watching it from from a like a screenwriting. Perspective, And before that, I was watching it in like a very personal perspective, mm-hmm. how I could personally relate to that movie. And actually the first time I watched it with Gary, it was like, we were like cracking up the whole entire movie. Like,
1: it was like <laughs> a comedy <laughs> for us. That's awesome. <laughs> it's such a good script. And today, I guess, was one of the first times I realized too how short the movie is. It's very dense. As Every as scene can. matters. But it's, what is it, like uh, 80 minutes long, something like that? That's crazy. Yeah. They make a movie like this today? We'll we'll even take his movie Marriage Story, which is another divorce tale from Noah Baumbach. What's the runtime on that? 137 minutes compared to 80 minutes. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? They don't do this anymore. They don't make movies that are like uh, an hour 20 or so. I feel like it would make more sense now. You would think? Yeah. You would think? Especially
0: with our attention span these days.
1: But I think we more have a uh, auteur's kind of... How can I put it? We favor the, the artist a lot more than we used to. Mm-hmm. So if a guy want, or girl wants to make a three-hour film about this, they're going to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm very curious on the length here. But yeah, so this was semi-autobiographical. It's pretty autobiographical, actually. There's a couple things that weren't true in his life that he stole from other people's lives. We'll get into it. I don't know when I realized this was a period piece, but it wasn't the first couple times I watched it, if that makes sense. What do you mean? It takes place You're, in 1986. Yeah, yeah. But like the first couple times I watched it, I thought that it was just like, oh, I think people dress like that in Brooklyn. You know, yeah, these are the kind of cars they dress like in Brooklyn. I think it's
0: because so one thing I liked about the movie is, yes, it's filmed in Park Slope, Brooklyn. But besides the fact that it that there is a squid in the well at the Natural History Museum, like the story itself could have taken anywhere really, because like he doesn't he doesn't use Park Slope, or Brooklyn as like he doesn't like over stimulate the idea. It's like, oh, this is a Brooklyn story. This is a yeah. New York story. It's just, he, he depicts Park Slope Sub- as like this, you know, kind of like a suburb almost. Just like this very domesticated neighborhood that people are just trying to raise families in.
1: I was mesmerized again watching this, like high school going into college, or maybe it was college. I was mesmerized with the fact that like, these are kids having suburban lifestyles, but taking the subway, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like that visually to me was crazy at the time you know where we grew up very suburban close to the city but the idea of like oh take the subway to school was like whoa (laughs) yeah that is pretty wild yeah
0: (laughs) especially at that age
1: (laughs) absolutely so just quickly on Noah Baumbach this ends up being a breakout in in so many ways because he gets nominated for uh, best original screenplay at the academy awards which is a really huge deal and it's funny because he originally wanted Wes Anderson to direct this one And Wes Anderson was like, no, basically when I direct, you know, Wes Anderson, like making movies, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I direct, I have a certain style and this is so personal. You don't want me to do that to your movie. Right. You know, so he's like, okay, I'll direct it. And I found it fascinating that it was shot on a 16 millimeter, super 16 millimeter to be specific, mostly with a handheld camera. Yeah. You're a camera guy. Do you get that feel from this movie?
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially in the tennis scenes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good um, point. I mean, yeah, like the camera work is very fast, but I don't know, maybe that could have been a choice of, you know, I guess it does have more of a, um, like a more intimate feel to it. Like, I i don't want, I don't want to say it's like, oh, since it's handheld, it feels like a home video, but you know, the, the movie is not overproduced for the story. And I think the, the, the very sort of straightforward, simple camera work, um, fits perfectly for, you know, for the story that's being told.
1: For sure. And like if
0: there was if there was like Wes Anderson camera work in it in it with everything being symmetrical and everything's like everything has a certain color palette. Even though Squid in the Well does have a certain color oh, palette it does, to definitely. it, definitely. But if it was if it was shot and photographed like a Wes Anderson movie, it would just be so necessary, I think.
1: I agree. Uh, one of the times that I rewatched this actually, was in college. I was in a writing class, and this is not a brag because I'm not a professional writer right now. So, like, I
0: feel like it's the best movie for a writer, <laughs> not, not or a great movie. It's a it's a fun movie for a writer to watch.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but I uh, I did a rewatch in college. I think it was probably the second time I saw it in this writing class. I was doing really well, and it was unexpected because it was all these English majors, and I was a government major. I wasn't like taking writing seriously, and like I said, I was doing well in the class and i was very influenced by wes anderson at the time and people were like oh i could see a lot of wes anderson in your work that's cool and someone said to me oh did you see margo at the wedding and i hadn't but like these were like the cool writer kids so i, I was like yeah I was like, what do you think <laughs> it was okay yeah. i just literally said that without seeing what it. was
0: it a screenwriting class
1: or uh no it was, was just like a creative writing okay. class but like, they were like i was like it was okay and he's like every Wes Anderson fan is saying that and I don't know why but
0: they, you know what I mean I'm it's like, so
1: funny you're kind of you're kind of like uh, Walt
0: in the the Whale how he's how he's like yeah the metamorphosis yeah um, it's very Kafkaesque
1: yeah. <laughs> he, he never read it <laughs> no but exactly that's why like, again I could relate to this character so much but I don't remember being in college he was either freshman or sophomore year I think it was sophomore year and I was like, shit, I gotta watch Noah Bombach films. <laughs> that's what I, like, you know, so I'm like, oh, okay, this is what they mean. Because I don't know, there are a lot of similar things with a Wes Anderson, but it's so different, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not like Wes Anderson world like at all. So if when Wes Anderson does this, it's just kind of like a Royal Tannenbaum's, and that's nothing like this. This is so much more personal. But watching it today and even back then, I'm gonna get a little personal, but like when I mm-hmm. first saw this movie, my parents were still together, and I think, but probably unhappy. And I think I kind of also avoided a lot of that, those parts of the film in relation. Luckily for me, my parents, I say luckily, but it was still hard. My parents got divorced when I was an adult in my 20s. I could imagine for someone in high school, it's really, really hard. Even if you know they're unhappy. Like, I didn't think I would care about my parents getting divorced because I knew they were unhappy. But it really, like, hit home with me. So watching it this time, I was like, oh, shit, you know? Mm -hmm. That's tough no matter what it is. I don't know. Again, I can't put my finger on it. But I do love and hate these divorce stories because divorce is so weird, you know? And, again, most kids, I think, are kids of divorce these days. And I think if you are, you're going to relate to this film. Even though these characters are, I'll use what you said, a little bit Mm Kafka-esque in a sense that they're saying and doing a little bit more than a normal person would. But it feels natural and right because of who they are. And let me get into the cast quick. Jeff Daniels, I mean, I think he's great in this. I love Jeff Daniels. This part was originally given to Bill Murray.
0: I was thinking about that on the ride here, (laughs) and uh, I'm glad Jeff Daniels definitely got casted over Bill Murray because I I think if Bill Murray was casted into Bernard... Bernard Berkman's character, he wouldn't carry the same sort of this dominant patriarchal sort of energy behind him. Like he would I think he would be just as passive aggressive and rude and arrogant as Jeff Daniels performance. But maybe maybe I'm just comparing it with Bill Murray's previous previous uh, performances. You know, he seems he's like a very like dry, sarcastic, passive sort of character. But I think Jeff Daniels has that extra like firm edge that the character needed.
1: I agree. I actually wrote that in my notes. Well, something similar. I I said Bill Murray, when he plays characters like this, you get a sense that he doesn't even believe his own bullshit. Like it's a facade. Jeff Daniels, I feel like he believes his own bullshit. <laughs> right. Here, yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: Every every sort of like trash talking or judgment he has towards the people around him it's it's so arrogant like when he talks about the he's like yeah you need to see the school psychologist he probably has a ba in psychology <laughs> like everybody he encounters just judges right away just just makes uh like just assumptions about them
1: think of bill Murray's character in royal Ten bombs or in rushmore right like he is mm-hmm. someone who's in charge of things but there's a it feels like there's a facade about it you know there's a weakness to his character too jeff daniel's here he's just Again, he believes his bullshit. Right, know, like, right.
0: Hey, Bill is just more apathetic. Yes, you know? yes.
1: So I'm with you. I'm so glad that this role was given uh, to Jeff Daniels instead. Bill Murray left the production to do Broken Flowers, so whatever. Everyone wins. Another great movie. Yeah. <laughs> but Laura Linney, who I mentioned I love, plays Joan, who— uh, Bernard, which, again, great name for, for uh, Jeff Daniels' character. Bernard's wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife, is Joan, She's great. Like I said, I love Laura Linney. But recently, she was recently probably like a couple of months ago. She was on Mark Maron's podcast. I didn't know a lot about her, but then from that interview and then watching it today, I'm like, oh shit, this role is perfect for her because her dad was actually a failed playwright, a very angry New Yorker mm-hmm. who people knew in the scene. He's one of those people who, if you were an actor in New York of that era. He was famous to you, but not rich because he wasn't successful enough mm-hmm. and resented even her when she came up. Like when she started to get good acting roles, he used to get angry at that. Yeah. I'm like, this is like, wow, <laughs> this is like great for that. And apparently, um, so Noah Baumbach's father was a similar kind of character. He was a writer, he was a, an artist in Park Slope. So he's very similar to Bernard. Mm-hmm. And Noah Baumbach's father, Jonathan Baumbach, actually knew Laura Lenny's father. Oh, wow, I didn't know, which that. which is crazy. Like in yeah. their little world. And they used to like talk about the shit they were writing and get unhappy with each other. I'm like that is so cool. Yeah.
0: His, his dad, um, Jonathan Bombeck. I read about how he, like one of his novels got rejected like 33 times. Oh my God. And then he started his own publishing house which then you know became another company and then he was still involved he was still on the board of that publishing house and then submitted his own novel to his own publishing house
1: and still got rejected (laughs) that's perfect that's so perfect oh my god i don't mean to laugh but come on
0: (laughs) And and it sounds like his um i mean i never read any of his books but it is from what i've read like of his biography it seems like he was very influenced by kafka
1: wow i mean that's so cool uh so jesse Eisenberg. Uh, as we mentioned, plays Walt, the teenager here, the character we're probably going to focus on a lot. His first big today. movie. First big movie. He does a social network after this. Now people are like, when they see Mark Zuckerberg, and they're like, wait, that's not Jesse Eisenberg. You know? Yeah. Like, they're almost interchangeable now. He, he is really, really good in this. I even remember at the time how much I liked him. And uh, one of the facts on IMDb was that he auditioned nine times for this part before he got it. So a lot of a failure, too, before succeeding from him. Really quickly, the other son, Frank, is played by Owen Klein, uh, just a child actor who really didn't do much. But Anna Paquin, who we've seen a bunch, plays Lily with her uh, X-Men rogue hair here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fun fact, they had an IMDb, I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot about this, that Jeff Daniels was her father in the uh, kind of kids movie Fly Away Home. Okay. You ever see that or hear no, that? No, I've never seen that movie. It's a movie where like about um, a girl who makes like a like a canadian girl i think who makes like a, pl- a plane
0: oh it's like a shaped in a goose yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i remember and, that movie and the
1: canadian geese like she has to like bring them home because the yeah. mom got killed or whatever so oh she, that was her in the movie that's her in the movie and <laughs> jeff daniels is the dad and jeff daniels is, in an interview was like it was so it was, awkward that was
0: a disney movie i remember right yeah yeah D- I remember Disney remember like
1: knock off disney you know i remember like like seeing a commercial for that when i was like eight and i was like ew i don't want to watch that <laughs> you know what it, the commercial of it was on A lot of like other Disney VHS tapes, like when you used to put them in or rent them and it's like, here's like other movies, whatever it was, and Mm they used to throw the trailer for fly away home.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Coming soon to home video. columbia pictures invites you to join amy she was the first thing they saw when they were born so they think she's their mother igor what? feather brain,
2: stop fooling around
3: and the rest of the flock the problem with your birds is they're going to want to migrate south and they need someone to show them how. for the ride of their lives
2: they're really flying with me it's
1: all you amy
3: <laughs> from the director of the black stallion fly
1: away home rated pg regardless jeff daniels was like kind of weird when we were like kissing and there was sexual tension knowing i played her dad i didn't know that i I, i'll think
0: of that next time i watch this movie
1: (laughs) and then you know a bunch of other people in this who kind of bit players people who have one scene or um, another william baldwin as the tennis instructor ivan yeah he's the big like billy baldwin here i love (laughs) i love him here Great character, great character, yeah. great hair. He says, you know, bro and brother a lot. Like it's really cool. I did like him. Um, Alexandra
0: Daddario, her first cameo in a movie. Yes, when she was in the, uh, she walked behind um, Sophie, Waltz at the time, girlfriend, and when he when he got the money after he did the talent show, he was starting to get a lot of attention, and then you know he was she was just a pretty girl who walked past him and. You know, kind of gave him a look.
1: Okay, because I was going to ask. I'm like, I don't remember seeing her, so (laughs) good catch on Mm -hmm. that. Hallie Pfeffer, who, or Pfeiffer, I'm not sure. I've seen her in a bunch of things. She plays that girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I think she's really cool. She's actually a playwright herself. I think she's equally as famous for acting as playwriting these days. More on the indie, like, underground scene. But again, I've seen her guest star in so many things, too. Love seeing her here. Oh, just one quickly. Ken Luang mm-hmm. is the guidance counselor briefly, and mm-hmm. he's not in it a lot. I'm like, where have I seen this guy? But the dude's been in a lot of stuff. He
0: was in um, The First Saw. The First Saw. He, what else was he in? He's
1: actually in one of the X-Men movies, but he's also in Rush Hour. He's the one with like the blonde hair in yeah, Rush yeah. Hour. He, he,
0: was like, he was definitely like one of the regularly casted Asian males in Hollywood. For sure, in the yeah. In <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s. So you know
1: cool good to see him
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean that's pretty much it regarding the cast. I did want to get into a little bit you know what this movie made me feel before we get into some scenes. Um, wow that sounds very like Brooklyn of me like just <laughs> <laughs> but where we grew up, very suburban, very much again I, I connected a lot of what was happening here and this I'm gonna say something very controversial right now people aren't gonna like it. Or maybe they are like it. I don't know. But lately, Hollywood has been about representation, and I love representation. Let's see as many more stories as possible. But God damn it, do I love a movie about white people arguing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, I never looked at it that <laughs> way. Wes Anderson films.
0: Yeah. Like, I could see Wes Anderson films being that, but yeah, I never looked at it this way because I think this movie hit me on such a personal level too, So, and I'm not white.
1: No, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm Latin, and but we grew up in a predominantly white area. So I think, you know, I connected so much with this and so many of these stories. I don't want these to go away, especially like uh, upper class or mm-hmm. upper middle class, like white people tales. They don't necessarily have to be white. I want to make it clear. But I like stories about arrogant fucking people. You know what yeah. I mean? Does that make sense? Like, I like seeing this as well as I like seeing... Other kinds of stories, and and I don't know. I know it's an unpopular opinion,
0: but I mean, without it, you we we wouldn't have our favorite word out of this movie: philistine.
1: Philistine. Oh my god! Because there's a couple, but I was like, oh, this like because you say that word a lot. I'm like, oh, that comes from here. I'm like Dan Ferrar. He's a philistine. (laughs) I think you've actually said that, (laughs) Dan. If you're listening, it's not a it's not a diss at all because I, you know, (laughs) well Dan reads, but still. I think Kyle's very Philistine. I think he would acknowledge that. He's a lowbrow Philistine. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think someone who says Philistine, like, and actually means it, is an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, oh, these Philistines, I'm, like, more learned than them. Fuck you. (laughs) And and typically, most likely,
0: uh, upper middle
1: class uh, white family from Park Slope. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I think these stories are really, really important, though, because I think they really move the needle. And there's stories that are true about artists. Again, this is his childhood story. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what framed his art. And he's one of the great artists, I think, Noah Baumbach, of the 21st century. And, you know, Laura Linney has probably a similar story. And I don't know. I don't know. Right. I mean, for the sake of this conversation, it was the the
0: culture that he grew up in, the household he grew up in. I mean, at the end of the day, the the themes of this movie could happen to any family, regardless of their background and culture exactly. on the surface. It's like, yeah, like there are two, two writers arguing over their two kids, you know, and they're, you know, they're calling each other Philistines and, you know, they're, they're arguing over their apartment in Park Slope and arguing over uh, who writes the checks for tennis practice. You know, all those things are on the surface, but that was, uh, that was Noah Baumbach's world went in the eighties, but, you know, having, a uh, two children, you know, going through witnessing a divorce of their parents that could happen in any family, regardless of culture or, you know, background or status. So
1: you grew up with a brother, too. Were you mm-hmm. the Walt or the Frank? I
0: joking. was definitely the Frank. I was kidding. Yeah. No, really? no this, this movie this movie uh, was kind of a mirror to me in a really freaky way. Wow. Yeah, it was. Because my parents, they'd never divorced. Oh, really? But they did separate for a couple of years, went around the same age. In the, oh, when cool. The kids okay. in the movie. I say cool. Like it's so <laughs> <fun. Yeah. laughs> it is pretty cool. I think I, was, I think I was like eight or nine and my brother was
1: 13. I don't mean to say cool, but like, that's such, again, I feel like I'm in the Brooklyn mode. It's like, yeah. oh, let's analyze <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, pretty close. The characters here are 12 and 16. So a little older. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yeah, that, that is quite the
0: mirror. I was definitely... Um, I think I could see my brother being Walt more because I see myself as Frank, mostly because I was more closer to my mom at the time. This is kind of weird, but like there were definitely moments in my childhood where I where I definitely compulsively masturbated. <laughs> not, not in like public. I'm not saying in like school. I didn't like smear my semen on the walls uh. or anything like that. But like when I look back, I'm like... Yeah, I probably shouldn't have masturbated there. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was like 10 maybe, but I had no idea what of was course, going on.
1: Of course. I'm not a therapist. I can't right. be like, well, but what that means. I don't, but... know,
0: I don't know if that was a direct, like a cry for help from direct, like that's directly from my parents' separation. But, yeah, I think my parents did fight a lot around us when, when I was like around that age mm-hmm. in the movie. And, yeah, and I, I, that definitely did affect you know, sort of this process of coming of age, you know, growing up. <laughs> so I was a Frank.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was literally going to make that joke like, Oh, what did you compulsively masturbate? <laughs> but it is a shitty, shitty time growing up sucks. And that's what this podcast is about a lot growing up sucks. But on the, at the same time to have that thrown on you as well as mm. a child up until I think, I don't think there's a great time for parents to get divorced to be fair, but like in your formative years, it's tough. And that's what this movie shows well. Um, in terms of the like uppity Brooklyn whiteness and stuff, you're absolutely right. This could happen to any family and any culture anywhere. But I do acknowledge that being a white artist or struggling artist in Brooklyn in the 80s and having your kids go to school with other people like that that is a culture in itself, and I think that's interesting, and I think it's something to explore. But you're right. At the human level, this is such a pure human story. I think this is not like one of those movies where, like, let's analyze all the scenes and blah, 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 necessarily. This is one of those movies that you could process differently every time. It's through feeling. Like, I
0: f- like this movie has a lot of feelings to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, this movie's pretty straightforward and simple as, you know, it's a mo- I think this movie's very very easy to watch that's why it's so like rewatchable over and over again because it's very matter of fact but um i think this movie really evokes a lot of different feelings throughout the throughout the scenes
1: it's easy to watch in a sense that it's relatable it's short and every scene matters it feels like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there's a throwaway scene just for comedy for example even where every movie has those right but it's hard to watch if you're looking for like oh let me just bullshit away at this movie for the first time i think you and i could watch it like that now because we know what happens but this is one of those movies where it's a comedy and a tragedy at the same time mm-hmm. it is very sad what happens just like flash forwarding to one of the later scenes in the end where uh jeff daniels character bernard basically is trying to make it work with his wife but he's not struggling to do he's doing his own Arrogant asshole way, and she just laughs at him. Yeah that
0: that was oh my god that was such a vulnerable scene for oh my god. both for both the mom and the dad. Yeah, like, I think at the throughout the whole movie, Jeff Daniels character and Laura Linney's character, they're 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 just they're just kind of hiding behind like their vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and like whatever emotional problems they're they're dealing with, like that we never get to see in the movie. But obviously, there are issues because you know it's manifesting in the relationship, but that part when when the last desperate desperate moment of jeff trying like oh i'll cook more you know i'll i'll do i'll do whatever and he's obviously missing the fact of like what kind of work needs to put through a relationship yeah it's obviously more than cooking dinners and cleaning the house <laughs> and doing chores you know and just how um joan reacts to it with the laughing it was just like that was like
1: freaking heartbreaking yeah, and imagine being like kids just witnessing, and that, witnessing that. Yeah, oh,
0: oh, it breaks my heart right now. I think, I think at like Frank's age, he, he's like someone like Frank around that age group, you can witness it, but you don't sort of get the gravity of the situation right away. But it's going to sort of manifest in weird ways, I think. But someone, who someone like Wall, he gets it. He gets what it's like to be in a relationship, even though he's starting to discover what it's like to be in a relationship. He kind of gets the dynamic of like a male and a female being in a relationship
1: together. And that's something else I want to talk about too. It really also, you know, I don't say you have to do it, but like it's an important part of growing up, but it really sucks to be in a relationship when you're young like, you're not a fully formed person. The person you're dating is not a fully formed person.
3: Mm-hmm. And it could
1: get scary and it could get fucked up. And yeah. you kind of see it here at certain times. Like, he's super rude to the girl for, like, kind of innocuous, dumb reasons. But, like, I'm watching this movie thinking back, I'm like, I'm sure I was like, oh, that too. dude, you you like I mean? the Ugh.
0: and I and I used to. <laughs> so that's so funny that you say that because. I think about my first few relationships um, with my first partners. And at the time, I was so sure of myself that I was like a good boyfriend. <gasps> oh God, but right? looking back, I was a fucking piece of shit, bro. Same, same. Yeah, I, I
1: apologize. I know none of you were listening, but I apologize to my early relationships. <laughs> I was a terrible human being. Like, yeah. I, I'm glad I never... So narcissistic. Me. No, Exactly. Narcissistic. <laughs> you think you fucking know everything. Yes. And it's like, oh, you know, I don't know if... I'll have kids. I want to have kids, but, you know, whatever. But, like, the teenage years scare me. The teenage years scare me. Because I remember myself as a teenager, and it's like, oh, those are tough times. Yeah. Those are tough times. And at at least from, like, the teenage boys' perspective, teenage boys are arrogant as fuck. (laughs) And seeing that here, I'm like, that is so... And that's what makes Jesse Eisenberg... Look, I don't know what he's doing today or whatever, but at the time and looking at that performance now... You're like, holy shit. Like this guy is nailing it because he seems he seems arrogant, but not in the way his father is, not like cocksure for no reason. Like he seems sure of himself. I don't know. I don't know. Sure of himself because that's what he knows, but he's also looking for his father's approval and ugh. I think there's a lot of conflict in his character
0: because all he's trying to do is emulate whatever his father says and thinks what his father thinks on the surface, but I think there's a lot of conflict, you know, like, in his mind. That's why he's so awkward, you know? Like, a lot of the things he says, there's no commitment behind it. He's just saying what his dad says, Mm -hmm. you know? like He says, oh, like, don't be difficult.
1: But it's funny because I I could look back at myself and thinking of moments like that, too. Like, you know, you feel like you're sure about something. You feel like you know something, but you're just parroting shit. How Mm -hmm. the fuck—sorry, I'm saying fuck a lot, but the movie does, too. But (laughs) how the fuck— would you or i growing up know anything about the world to talk the way we talk to people and do the way the things we did you know Mm -hmm. with no experience and like emotions or dating people or anything like that it's just oh my god and this movie like reminded me about again if you're a teenager out there i apologize for cutting into you maybe i am maybe i'm not but at least my i can speak for myself as a teenager like i i I would want to punch myself on the face
0: yeah. you know what I mean? but it's it's all good like everybody has i think everybody has to go through that
1: yeah i mean and, that's fair yeah it's fair
0: but i don't know i think uh everybody handles their teenage years very differently but i think the ones that do have similar experiences to walt or frank you know like i think at the end of the day they
1: still they, they could come out of it hope so hope. Yeah. well noah bambach came out of it and he yeah. made this movie so <laughs> is, is
0: noah the walt or the frank he, you, he's the walt he's the walt right
1: mm-hmm. okay Actually, his brother play, is in the movie. Who is, I guess, the Frank because it's his younger brother. His brother plays the student at SUNY Binghamton, who invite, oh, who, who invites, who uh, invites him Bernard. He's like, oh, I thought there'd be a bigger crowd. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what what scenes do you want to talk about here? I know the first scene is that tennis scene. Let's start with the start in the beginning. Tennis.
2: Mom and me versus you and dad.
3: Long. That looked pretty good. It was out. It did look good. Frank, it was out. It's my call. Out. If you can, try and hit it at your mother's backhand. It's pretty weak. Got it. Yes. Don't gloat, Wolf. Five games to three us. Come on, Bernard.
2: Bernard, don't curse.
3: I'm cursing it myself. Nice shot. Thanks. Walt, watch out. Part of the game, huh? 15, love. Ow.
1: Joan, I'm sorry. It was an accident. That that scene is so jarring to me because first
0: line of the movie, me, me and mom versus you and dad,
1: which is yeah, <laughs> right off the bat just sets it right up. Absolutely, yeah. like it just and when you watch it again, it's so much more obvious than theoretically the first time. But I love the fact that the dad is happy teaming with the older brother because he wants to win. Like it's not about whatever oh let's have fun with the family like this dad wants to win he's getting angry at himself he's fuck and yeah. fucking because you know when he <laughs> makes mistakes like and that's something that i don't know if a lot of fathers are like but i loved that this character was like that cuz again such an asshole there's wanna beat your wife and your like young your youngest child at tennis like who cares he's making excuses for himself and the way it looks and sounds is so good mm mm-hmm. But, yeah, let's talk about the,
0: the the tennis matches and the and the ping pong matches. I love the interactions between Bernard and Frank, just the just the tension between them, yeah. and just how different they are, and how I guess like unaccepting Bernard is
1: to Frank <laughs> for so many reasons, <laughs> and one of them being that like Frank, who's again a kid. Is siding with the mom, but mm-hmm. he's a kid, you know right. what I mean? But like, uh, Bernard takes it personal. It's yeah. <laughs> <is> ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, what do you want to say about the tennis and the ping pong?
0: Uh, I love the scene when they're talking about um, this. This is the conversation that revolves around like, oh, like, you don't want to be like Ivan. Frank is talking about how he aspires to be a tennis pro like Ivan. Yeah. But he's like, oh, you don't want to be like Ivan. He's a he's a Philistine. And he's like, what's a Philistine? He's like, oh, it's someone who's not really interested in interesting books, movies, or art. And then he goes, I'm a Philistine. Yeah, I love that. And he's like, no, you're not. It's like, and, yeah, I am. And I, I mean, it's obvious that Bernard doesn't approve of this, of of Frank's like, you know, of who he is at what? How old is he in the movie? Like, 11 years old? Yeah, something like 10 that. or 11 years old. 12. But he just totally takes it out on him through the ping pong game.
1: Which is, again, <laughs> ridiculous. It's funny, but it feels funny to me because it's so true to this character that we're, like, learning about. Yeah. And then her, like, the mom, too. Uh, she's not perfect either. Like, mm-hmm. she, she does seem to resent him because he hasn't had a popular work in, for a while. But... At the end of the day, I kind of understand where she's coming from more than where he's coming from. That doesn't mean, like, have affairs and do all that shit. That's not, that's not what I mean. But he clearly is resenting her for pursuing this artistic dream now,
0: you know? Because mm-hmm. he thinks he's the king shit writer. Yeah. Like, nobody else can Nobody else can be a writer besides him.
1: That whole conversation with, uh, oh, that's one of his lesser works. I can't believe a high school teaches lesser works of these great artists. Like
0: Oh, Minor Dickens.
1: Yeah, Minor <laughs> Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> Like whatever the uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald one later and then like the son starts parroting all that. It's like it's almost like he's putting himself on that pedestal with mm-hmm. those other writers yeah. like these most famous writers ever like Minor Dickens is still going to be more famous than he'll ever be but it's <laughs> yeah. just like oh yeah mm, that
0: one's okay you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's in complete denial that he's a failure of a writer at, at this point of his, of his career but yeah he's, he's still out there just constantly just judging and berating
1: people people he doesn't even know <laughs> and in a way, he's almost like a teenager, right? Like, yeah, he doesn't feel like a fully formed adult. I know, like, again, it's t- this movie turns the temperature up a little bit more than maybe a realistic situation with how confronting they are and how just honest they are. But it's subtle enough where it doesn't seem like a parody or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's such a character who's so, so arrogant for no not no reason but for not a lot of reason and the way this reflects on his teenage son is is super detrimental but frankly i think it's something that happens with a lot of parents to teenagers and i don't know if parents again i'm not a parent but i don't know if parents truly understand the influence they're making with their actions on their kids all the time mm-hmm. just in relation to walt uh, and the girl and when they're talking in class and we already talked about quickly the scene where she's mentioning, um, you know, the book she likes and Kafka, and he's like, oh, really, you like that? You know, it's one of his lesser works. Yeah,
0: especially the the metamorphosis and... Yeah.
2: Oh, I read the metamorphosis. Uh, you were right, it's great. Oh? Yeah, I mean, so bizarre. What do you think is happening at the end with the sister? Oh, yeah, I think she's... Um... I mean, no, it's ambiguous, really. Yeah, I mean, it's gross when he turns into the bug, but I love how matter-of-fact everything is. Yeah, it's very Kafka-esque.
1: Because yeah, it's written by Franz Kafka.
2: Right. No, I mean, clearly. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be. Like, the
0: metamorphosis was mentioned um, in the car ride when Walt and Bernard were find, looking for parking. And um, that was when Bernard was like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, Kafka was more of my predecessors. And.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> was one of my favorite lines. That literally yeah. I said "I loud, fuck you. Yes. <laughs> and
0: love his work especially the metamorphosis and then walt (laughs) goes to the metamorphosis and he never discovers what the metamorphosis is and that book kept coming up over and over again in the movie Mm -hmm. and i was like the hell is the metamorphosis and it made me it made me uh go out there and look for it because which brings me to the item
1: oh nice (laughs) nice the metamorphosis (laughs) copy of the metamorphosis i I read this in college during that class i was talking to oh did you about yeah thank you so the The Metamorphosis. Do you know how it begins?
0: Um, I only read, I I have not read it yet, but I only read like the sort of the
1: synopsis. One of the most famous beginnings in all of literature. And this shows you who Kafka is. Okay. So this is how it begins. As Gregor Sampson awoke from unsettling dreams one morning, he found himself transformed in his bed into a monstrous vermin. Like that's how it starts. He wakes up as a bug. Yeah. It's that direct. He lay in his hard armor-like back and when he raised his head a little he saw his vaulted brown belly divided into sections by stiff arches from whose height the coverlet whatever you get it
0: like i'm curious what kafka's previous works were like prior to this one i'm I mean, not
1: sure i'd love to be i would love to have pursued like literature in my life i did not yeah i, I know just kafka's very blunt and direct. They didn't build to him. He just wakes up as a bug, you know? Okay. <laughs> and this is the story. And I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of this movie is based on that kind of storytelling in terms of the characters are very direct with each other, especially the parents. Towards the end of the movie once they're separated, they're referring to each other by their names. Like, "Oh, is Bernard coming to the kid?" you know, not like "is is dad coming?" or "your your dad coming?" You yeah, it's yeah. like "is Bernard here?" you know. Literature classes are always going to read Kafka. Short story class, I was going to read Kafka. To say Kafka is your predecessor is like saying... <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, if you're a painter, like, oh, my predecessor, Picasso. Yeah. You know, like, Fuck you. <laughs> Again, putting himself on the pedestal with the greats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's one of those people who says, like, oh, I'm definitely misunderstood in my time. You know. <laughs> this, ha-
0: this has to be one of the funniest movies I've ever watched because it just has these moments where... Like, it's so, it's very subtle, so unfortunate, but it's so true, though.
1: And th- and that's why there's a different kind of comedy than that's what I discovered when I first saw it, and that's what really influenced my writing and things I was interested in. It was that comedy that you're laughing inside, maybe laughing out loud, it doesn't matter, but it's not because the silly thing is happening on screen. It's right. because, oh, shit, I know that. you know. And I, I
0: also think a lot of, I don't know, some people might disagree with me, but the medium of comedy in movies today solely depicts on the writing and, like, the silliness of the the character and the moment itself rather than actually using cinema or cinema, um, <laughs> the movie as the actual medium for the comedy. Well, Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, I guess, like, a good example in this movie would be a great f- funny moment in... in um, This movie is when... Sophie and Walt go out to go out on a date. They watch uh, Blue Velvet. With, yeah, um, what was the
1: choice of films? It was Short Circuit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Short Circuit. He's like, Blue we're Velvet. thinking
0: about watching Short Circuit, and he's like, I heard Blue Velvet should, is it pretty interesting. <laughs> the dad <laughs> saying that, and they show Blue Velvet here, <laughs> and and this the scene that they show of Blue Velvet, and, and in the screen the woods like, <laughs> I love you, so you love me. <laughs> <Everybody's> he's <season laughs> deceiving me. <laughs> it's such an intense scene. Also very
1: kafka Very Kafka-esque. Let's explore the relationship between Walt, Sophie, Lily, and everything that's going on there. Because, you know, Walt is a teenager. He has that interaction in class, like we discussed. And they end up dating. I love when he meets her parents. And everything seems like it's great, you know. And, you know, they're laughing and they're whatever. <laughs> and late- He's funny,
0: Sophie. He's yeah, funny. exactly.
1: It, it was, like, relatable and cool. And she likes him. But he's treating it so arrogantly because it's not necessarily he's not attracted to her, I don't believe. I think he thinks his father is not going to be attracted to her, hmm. which is f- fucked up. But I think it's something that teenagers do feel at times, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. As they go along and as they're like just talking and getting to know each other, he's asking her about her past relationships. But she seems like a genuinely nice person who's learning and kind of a more stable at-home life. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I'm not like so much of a fan of like that kind of depiction, but it ends up being somewhat true uh, later in the movie when they kind of have their breakup because it's obvious like he's just like he's into her, but he's also into Lily. And I love when she says like, oh, my father said you didn't shake, <laughs> shake his hand firmly. He's like, his hands are so big I couldn't. And I forgot what the mom The mom said,
0: said oh, well, Walt doesn't have a good example of a relationship because oh, yes. yes, of, of his parents. But when I heard that when I heard that coming from from Sophie, I, I that it was like a very cringe moment for me because the last time you see Sophie's parents was in the Chinese restaurant, they were so like accepting and yeah. and um Accepting of Walt, and maybe maybe the parents didn't know like what the dynamic was between Sophie and Walt, but like they, obviously behind their back, behind Walt's back, they were like talking shit about him.
1: Feels so real though, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so absolutely, <laughs> yeah.
0: That, that was a hard watch, like that, that was that scene was hard to watch
1: too. And he thinks he has it aced, and when he hears that, it's kind of like, oh, fuck <laughs> you know, I, I also wanted to bring up just so when they get the separation, they divide their you know, time between the kids. What do they call it? Uh, shared custody. And it's like days, They odds and even days, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Thursdays they trade off or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not serving for the kids. It's totally like optics and them. Um, the dad buys a house across the park and he's like, what does he say? It's like the sirloin. It's of the, the filet of, fi- <laughs> of the neighborhood. The filet yes. of the neighborhood. And he
0: uses that line again when he's reading the... So the thing about Bernard, I've, I noticed he... I took it as maybe it's to depict how shallow of a writer he is, how he just keeps repeating these phrases like "don't be difficult," and he always says, "oh, it's the fillet of the neighborhood," <laughs> and and again, Walt uses that same same phrase too. It's the fillet of the neighborhood. When I
1: think it's one of these things where he's a writer and he he's like loves his writing or loves himself so much, he thinks of this in the shower yeah, like, "oh, that's a great thing. I'm going to use this." You know what I mean? It's
0: a, he was reading the uh, the, the crime noir. Uh, novel when he was in the hospital bed and he was talking about the author he's like oh it's nothing serious but it's you know it's the it's the filet of crime noir
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love that term i love that term but but the separation creates like an interesting dynamic between both parents where the kids kind of start to develop we'll say bad habits because they're not being supervised like they were before Uh, the younger brother starts well the mom gives him beer and he starts drinking and just as he said, like chronically masturbating and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Walt, I love when he uh, sleeps over his girlfriend's house or he's going to, and he calls the dad, and he's like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Only because the the, uh, the roommate, Lily, was in the other room.
1: <laughs> the, and, and that's what I want to bring up, too, the Lily dynamic, Anna Paquin's character. So uh, the father, Bernard, is a college professor, and Anna Paquin, she's one of his students.
0: Very racy writer.
1: Very racy. And very I love racy. he's like, oh, she talks about her cunt a lot. I think <laughs> yeah. it's very racy. Like, again, I'm quoting the movie. <laughs> There's a whole story about her cunt. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Um, and then when he's even uh, talking to Walt's girlfriend, Sophie, and he's like, you might like this author in my class. She talks about her vagina a lot. His whole story about her vagina. It's like, whoa. <laughs> it's very clear that, and we see later, that Walt and his father are both attracted to her and that makes a lot more sense for Walt's character he's in high school he sees this what he sees as like a kind of learned girl who's sexy and you know mm-hmm. whatever but his dad doesn't there doesn't seem to be any he doesn't think it's like wrong at all he's like you know i don't know if i would date my students. he's just things like that but
0: he's <sighs> like oh you can i have an extra room you don't have to blow your yeah. super like he, or right off the bat he sets the tone <laughs>
1: Exactly. So he not g- her. He does. Yeah, he gives you know? her the extra room in his place, but it's it's totally to bang. Oh yeah, absolutely. God. And she's into him, but then there's like you know again we see in like an awkward moment later. Or How about that scene when Walt leaves her room and then
0: like he passes his dad in the hallway and the dad knocks on her door? Fucked up. <laughs>
1: so fucked up. And then you have to be someone with the hub like incredible hubris to just think like oh my son walked out of there let me you know let me yeah. get a shot it's like, like that dynamic between the father and son
0: is it's insane it's crazy
1: insane and while this is such a relatable story there are certain elements here that i'm glad i didn't live i hope you didn't live you know what no what not I mean? not not in that aspect no <laughs> oh man oh man and I, I love what this movie does in terms of I think anyone who watches does not see Bernard as a good guy yet realizes that Walt, yeah, he does some dickish things, but it comes from his, his environment. It comes from what he's seeing his father do. It's not coming from him being necessarily a bad person. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not like just, he's not using Sophie. You know what I mean? He is weighing his options, but it's just his dad is like, oh, you know, I wish I dated more women at that age, you know? Damn. I don't know. I don't know. I often think, like, how would I be with my teenager in their first relationship? You know? Because I don't want to... One of the mistakes I think I did was, like, thinking, oh, I'm dating this girl. Must be forever. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. It... And I think that's a mistake. But I also wouldn't want to be like, play the field, son. You know? It, it's, it's tough. It's tough being a parent. I think Bernard fails a lot. <laughs> it's tough being a kid. I'm actually impressed by Sophie's maturity. You know? She seems more mature and well-adjusted to leave the bad situation when because they break up but it's really her breaking up with him because he's being just complete asshole you know Mm -hmm. oh there's that earlier moment where they're like holding hands and like a pretty girl from school passes by he lets go of the hand he lets go of the hand
0: she she does witness a lot of self-centeredness of walt but she still gives him a chance over and over again even after the talent show when lily goes oh how much how much money did you win he goes a hundred bucks he goes she goes, come by my bedroom. I want to show you something. He's like, okay. And then next shot, you see Sophie's just like face, just like like what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, let's talk about Walt's uh, whole guitar thing. And you know, he's learn- learning a song, and it ends up being, uh, which I think was rather obvious, like a Pink Floyd song. Mm-hmm. But then when I remembered, it was like a period piece. Like that's I'm, I'm not I, I don't like Pink Floyd, but that's a song I had obviously heard and known. And I'm like, how did they not know? I remember watching it earlier on in my life and being like, how did they not know that was a fake song?
0: So did you know the song before you saw the movie? Yes, yes, I did. So I didn't know the song until I saw the movie. Oh, and so then, that's cool. So I learned the song through that movie. So when you first heard him sing Hey You, and then he claims that he claims that he wrote the song. Did you already know that was like? I already, was, yeah, I already knew it was. This a was song. like, oh, something's manifesting.
1: So the way I first watched it, and I've watched it since, you don't know that he's writing or faking that song until the talent show when he says, "I wrote this song." Oh, okay. So it's not like, oh no, what's going on here? It's more like, oh, he learned this song. Okay. Oh, what he's saying he wrote that song. It's it's weird in that sense, but I equate it now. F- How you felt not knowing the song the first time, being like, oh shit, that must have been very interesting. It's a well-known enough song that I don't think it's actually meant to surprise you, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think it's meant to surprise you that he would do that. Mm -hmm. Because this is not like a deep album track from uh, Pink Floyd. This is like one of their popular songs. And this is actually not a Noah Baumbach autobiographical thing, but his best friend did this with a Who song. And he won a contest. And... <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then they caught him. I imagined it as, knowing it it's a period piece, I imagined it as this was a song in that album that just had come out perhaps or had come out recently. And that was not popular yet and then got popular after he did it. So, because think about it at the time. It's not like something on the internet they're looking up. It's the mm-hmm. 80s. so perhaps it's i don't know when the, what's the song called hey you so the song oh 79 is the wall so mm-hmm. i don't know i also found it funny that you know the park slope set they're not exactly going to be the pink floyd set in 1986 you know so right you could take a song like that and probably mask it and hide it and
0: i mean you can tell when he he plays a song in this in the um in the talent show you can tell like a few select people like already know right off the bat, like oh, this is bullshit. Like Lil- <laughs> L- Lily, may- maybe, maybe uh, also Ivan. I think Ivan and Lily they both recognize they both recognize the that's a good call, um, the the false claim right
1: away. Ivan seems like he would be into Pink Floyd, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So <laughs> Ivan again, just like his his brothers and the way he teaches tennis, and
0: maybe that's like a choice. Maybe that's like a literary choice of like the two parties that are sort of. The outliers of the marriage they're the ones that know the lie already
1: makes sense you know i love it's a how very
0: housely sort of <laughs> approach to it but that's what i'm saying teacher
1: <laughs> i love how when they're in the room with the principal confronting them and they kind of do these two meetings back to back right they do a meeting with their like uh, middle school principal or teacher and it's about uh the m- masturbation and again look this, this what, is, what is
0: bernard called the public school teachers um Well intentioned, well intentioned, unsophisticated bureaucrats. Yeah, yeah. I I was like,
1: that's so funny and so cool. (laughs) That character would totally say that, you know?
0: Again, he's talking shit about everyone. Yeah, everyone, everyone.
1: So the middle school, they're upset. I know we're bouncing around, but whatever. The middle school, they're upset for what's his name is chronically masturbating and rubbing his semen over like random shit. Mm -hmm. And. Think like the typical parents they are the typical arrogance they're not like oh my god sorry they are but they're like well how do you know it's him you know <laughs> it's like yeah and the teacher's like well it could be someone else's but, but it's not likely <laughs> <laughs> but then when they do a waltz meeting I forgot which parent says it's like well he put his own spin on it so you, can, you can... it was his own
0: interpretation <laughs> yes you real actually that made me realize everybody outside the family in the, in this movie they're like really normal. If you think about it.
1: Yes and no. I don't think that what's his name is normal. I don't think the tennis instructor is normal, but he's like stupid. So it doesn't really matter. You yeah. Know what I mean, There is that one kid's parent who is also one of the people that the mother slept with. Okay. Yeah. But largely, and I think this is Noah Bombach probably talking about his own life, like kind of commenting, like there were a lot more well-adjusted people than me in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. no matter what was going on. But you're absolutely right. You know these administrators, these school people, especially—they're doing the right thing, and they're they're being nice about it. And the parents are just like, "Oh God!" (laughs) I love the the way those scenes in school look too. Not just the talent show. I forgot what it says in the background. Starry nights. Yeah, starry nights. Yeah. Um, I love how that looks, but I love when they're sitting in like the like the desks, listening to the teachers talk. Like I love that kind of stuff. Oh, speaking of desks, I love when uh they, again they move into this new or Bernard moves into this new house, the filet of the neighborhood, and it's like dilapidated, whatever. And when you think it's nineteen eighty six, it probably wasn't that expensive to rent or buy, who knows? And uh he, he gifts um, one of his sons a desk and he's like, You could do your homework here, but it's like a left handed school desk. It's a he's a
0: school like, desk you with know. the <laughs> table attached to the chair. He's like, I'm not a lefty. <laughs> and they they argue about the which tennis player He's got a poster of Vitas. Yeah, um,
1: I forget which tennis player it was. I took a snapshot of it. I remember? <laughs> he's like, I hate him. I met him. He was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> the kids just like cursing and the parents cursing in here. I think is great. Oh, it's so awesome.
0: Again, the t- the ping pong scene, how they express their frustrations. They're like, "Fuck and like, fuck you, ass man." And and Bernard, he just like totally accepts it. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, don't say, that. you know." He's like, "Yep, you know." <laughs> and when Bernard beats Frank, he goes. Sorry, it's hard to beat your father.
2: Oh,
1: God. <laughs> so, and and, you think, <laughs> and like, he goes,
0: fuck you, ass man. <laughs> not
1: everyone should have kids. Not everyone wants to have kids. I think in that era, it was like get married, have kids. It's revealed that Bernard has been married two other times. One was annulled, so it doesn't count according mm-hmm. to him. Um, Noah Bombach's father had a couple other marriages.
0: I think the first marriage was annulled, too. Oh, in Noah and, yeah, case? Yeah, no, and Noah no case? Yeah, and I think... His father's second marriage; the last name was Berkman. The the maiden name of the wife. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I think it was like Anna Berkman, I think.
1: So yeah. you get a lot of that in here, and the dad like he definitely maybe sh- should have been someone who focused more on his career and not his kids. You know, like or not not fo- not focusing because he should probably shouldn't have had those kids because he doesn't seem like a father. What I laugh and I'm like, oh my god, he seems arrogant. About the fact that he's that way. Like, he doesn't seem like, oh, I'm doing something wrong, or oh, I shouldn't be a dad. He's like, these are my kids. I'm just going to be honest with them. Mm-hmm. It's like, really? <laughs> oh, I-, I wanted to talk about, it because it's so, one thing that's so New York that wasn't like the suburbs we grew up in was, like, him looking for parking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go through that a lot here in my neighborhood. But it's also, I don't know, there's something like philosophical about it, it too. I've had a lot of deep thoughts while just circling for parking Mm. and stuff. There's a real uh, moment where we see how can I put it? We see Walt kind of I don't know, maybe you have to be in New York to get this, but when Walt says, oh, I'll look for parking with you, Dad. You don't need to drop me off. That's, like, a huge, like...
0: It's a huge favor. It's a a commitment right there.
1: It's a commitment right there. You don't know how long you're going to be looking for it. You could tell, like, there's a moment of pride there with, like, hey, oh, he's going to look for parking with me. Walt's siding with his father. Well, I'll ask you this question. What do you think about it, like, his whole siding with his father in this movie? For the most part, again, till the end.
0: I think there was obviously some resentment towards his mother. For sure, um especially with the cheating and stuff, yeah, like even like right in the beginning too, and, and you don't know, it was never explained what caused that resentment, and I think by default, he sides with his father. He doesn't really question like what his father does or who he is. he just all he does is just try to, tries to emulate him as much as he can
1: and he doesn't even assume he just a hundred percent believes his father is a great man and a great writer. Mm-hmm. He's like, but well, he believes his bullshit. Maybe one of the last people to believe his bullshit. Yeah.
0: I mean That could be his, his coping mechanism to see his parents' relationships through his father's eyes as a coping mechanism because I think one of the I'm, I'm, I stole this from the New York Times critic was one of the themes of the movie is how Walt is afraid to see things as it is, such as the squid and the whale diorama in the movie. And when he realizes that during his uh, meeting with the psychologist when he realized when he's telling the story about how his mother took him to the squid and the whale diorama. And he would, he he would only be able to see the, see the exhibit with his hands in front of his face. And then his mother would kind of like debrief him at the end of the day, saying like they'll kind of go over what the squid and the whale diorama was. And it wasn't so scary after all. So I think that's when he realizes like, Hey, maybe I'm seeing what's happening to my parents through, Through this lens of fear or not seeing it clearly, and finally at the end, his metamorphosis is him confronting the actual diorama.
1: That's a really good point, and I'm always struck by when he is communicating that story to the the guidance counselor or whatever he is. The he has an uh, M.A. (laughs) He's not a doctor, but he's not a bullshit B.A. person, Mm -hmm. which you said, which is so stupid. (laughs) I'm always like uh, struck by the fact that. The doctor says to him, Oh, but you have no memories of your father? Where was he? You know, Mm -hmm. oh, he was downstairs, he was doing something. And it really was his mother who I think he originally put on that pedestal. And that's why her disappointment, like, hurts him so much as well. Sure. Because they had that relationship, and she ended. I think he saw her as we started this, like, you know, finding out your parents are human. I think he saw her warts first, her being human first before he saw his dad's mm-hmm. I think he eventually sees his dad well we know he eventually sees his dad's in that awkward scene where he catches um, Anna Paquin with the dad and the dad's kind of forcing himself on her right Anna Paquin's character like kind of which is weird like she hits on him originally and he kind of denies her I don't know why and then eventually it's kind of like turns around and it's weird she, like at one point she's in seems like she's at least into Walt a little bit and Oh, that's when he breaks her nose, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. she's like, I'm going to take a bath. Bye. Kind of thing. It's a weird, obviously weird dynamic. But as soon as he sees that, like the dad, again, being human, I'm not forgiving what he's doing, FYI, but I'm saying like, he's not just being
0: it, a person, not a father being yes, a person.
1: Exactly. And he's not even like apologetic about it or anything like that. When people tell him, oh, your son has a crush on this girl. He almost doesn't like believe it. Like, oh, well, it doesn't matter kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And when he sees that, then he kind of like puts both his parents in that same situation or that same place where they're both human beings. And he's so conflicted here. And I love it because it's dramatic, but it's also like so fucked up. Yeah. What other scenes struck you? What other scenes did you want to talk about?
0: What about Frank's sexual awakening? That was a scene when um, I think Ivan and Joan are away for the weekend and He's alone drinking hard alcohol, and he lays out his mom's oh, underwear. Yes, I mean, is that is that the Oedipus complex like textbook and playwright? I guess
1: so, right? Like,
0: but he's also, but the thing is, he's also emulating Ivan too. He starts talking, to, talking like him as well. He wants to be Ivan. You he know, wants he's... to fuck his mother at the end of the day.
1: Ooh, heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's an interesting scene. That's a scene that I think I just like didn't even think about when I first watched it originally. I didn't even remember it until this watch, to be honest with you. I was just a- drinking with him and, then again, putting his mother's I- – I was like, does he put it on? I can't remember. But No, he no, lays he the underwear on the, on the No, bag. I know, but I was thinking when I watched it, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, but it ended up being, like you said, very Oedipus, very strange – Imagine you're, this is what I was thinking, imagine you're Noah Baumbach and you have a younger brother Mm -hmm. and you write this scene and it's like, this is you, remember? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also, it's very similar to how the parents are here. Like, oh, like, so matter of fact, remember when you did that or you were like that as a kid, right? Well, I think I read that
0: when Noah Baumbach wrote this movie, he intentionally kept it from his parents, not because, not to hide it, but to keep it strictly from his perspective. Ah. So it's funny you say that. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But what is it about Frank's sort of cry for help or his sort of manifestation in witnessing his parents' divorce? Like, Walt's, like, Walt is pretty cut and dry. Like, you know, he's he's treating his girlfriend like like a piece of shit. He's uh, narcissistic. He's lying about, he wrote about this song. But for Frank, his comes out in a completely different, strange, cough-ass manner
1: i think when you're that age you have less control of you know what's necessarily going on i don't know the answer like i really don't um it's It's some deep psychological shit exactly it it seems real and it seems right not like right morally but it seems like that
0: that would make sense for the younger person the younger sibling because i think when you're at frank's age you don't you don't fully grasp the literal situation. You just no. know like something traumatic is happening in front of you.
1: It's all you know, really, and that's coming apart, and that's hard to process as a teenager. Even harder to process as a kid like that. Mm-hmm. And the parents are not again. The whole thing with the cat and who's getting who on what day, and mm-hmm. it's just it's it's like too much for that kid. And I feel so bad. I and mean, obviously, there's millions upon millions of kids who have to deal with this, of course. But and it, like his mother is. Everything. Everything. Almost and too much for him. Too much, but yeah. how, isn't that true about kids, you know? So to see her be human is weird, but I don't know. To put those kids through also, those like that such a rigorous structure like that. And how about at the end when they're revealing, like, oh, you only want to join custody because the child support is less? Mm-hmm. The way that uh, Bernard the entire time he believes he's so successful. He believes he's, like, you know, the best or a great writer or whatever. But he, if you notice, he's trying to, like, save money wherever he can on things. When they're all going out to eat the one time, he's like, oh, they have big portions here, so get the half portions.
0: You know? <laughs> he takes the money from Sophie when yeah. she offers to pay. Yeah, exactly. So get the it's check. like, oh, my God, this is a teenager,
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's stuff like yeah. that. And... So it kind of makes sense at the end where you hear, like, oh, the only reason he wanted to share custody because he wouldn't have to pay the child support like that. It's like, fuck. Yeah. You know? So just to answer your question, I don't know. I, I think a child psychologist could watch this and tell you what the answer is. All I know is that it feels like it makes sense. You know yeah. what I mean? As fucked up as it is. And this is one of the most honest movies. Like it,
0: It's it's such a... It's, it's really a u- different coming-of-age movie. I don't want... It's, like, more... I don't want to say darker, but, like, it definitely tells a story that people would be ashamed to tell.
1: A hundred and ten percent, right? Like, this is not the movies we usually talk about.
0: This isn't, like, Freaks and Geeks, and, like, there's cool music playing in the background, and it's like, oh, my boyfriend's cheating on me, and then, like, they fight at the end, and then they make up. It's it's not that sort of coming of age. It's like, at the end, there's no real resolution to it, because, like, you never know what happens to Frank. He's the last, I think the last, like, Almost not the last scene you see him, but like towards the end of the movie he still has a beer in his hand. You know?
1: Yeah, there's no real <laughs> yeah. resolution and that's and again, that's what influenced me so much as a young person. It was like, oh shit. They're not like tying up the loose ends. There's no happily ever after. This is just a moment in these people's lives that we're seeing, and not a very long moment, but ooh.
0: A quick eighty minutes.
1: <laughs> a quick eighty minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know the um
0: the last the last scene in the movie, or the climax, when Bernard has like the, I guess like the heart attack, and the ambulance picks him up, and he says "de goulas to Jones. Yes, yes. Like, yes. oh, you call me a bitch. So I actually looked that movie up. With- yeah.
1: So so let's set the scene a little bit. There's a moment um, towards the end where that's after they have the conversation about like where he tries to get back together with her stuff like that, and it, it doesn't work out. He walks out. And the cat escapes, and you know they try to save the cat. Quite literally, here because
0: I think I think that's very mm, symbolic that he's, he's going to be the one to catch the cat. Because remember how they reminisce about oh, remember remember like when I when I saved the cat when it was stuck behind the wall, and she goes, "No, it was behind a radiator." Like <laughs> yeah. there, there was there was a moment, like for the first time in the movie, there was a moment that moment when. Um, when they're talking in front of their house, it was kind of like, oh, maybe there is a chance that this marriage could be saved. They both express some sort of attraction to each other still.
1: Yeah. And that's when he's, you know, I think he's trying to reach to be his like get to be his most dad like moment. Yeah. To catch the cat. To catch the cat. Yeah. And he ends up. Uh, what is it?
0: They thought it was a heart attack, but they it was ended it was up a being it. They, they said it was g- exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's part of the drama of who he is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs>
0: right. It was a very dramatic scene, though. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and when he uh, gets put on like the gurney or whatever, and... Whoa. Oh, you all right? I
3: had him. Joan, call an ambulance.
1: <sighs> well, get in the car. <sighs>
2: What?
3: It means bitch. Don't you remember?
2: You're calling me a bitch? No,
3: don't you remember the last line of Godard's a Buddha soufla? Belmondo calls Seabird a bitch. Damas. We saw it at the Thalia with the Dixteens. I got you in for the children's price. You were pregnant with Walt.
0: Like six weeks.
3: I still got you in for a children's ticket. You told me you didn't like Godard. He thought the jump cuts were- I checked for the cat behind the ash cans under the Galadner's stoop. Okay.
1: What does he say exactly? Like, he says degulas. Degulas. And she's like, what? What? It, it's, it means bitch. Are you calling me a bitch? Yeah. He's like, no, it's from. Like, what does he say it
0: it's, was from? It's from, the, it's from uh, Jean-Luc Godard's movie. Uh, it's called Breathless, but okay. in, French, in French it's called É uh, Bout de Soufflé. And it was a 1960 uh, New Way French film. And the last time in the movie, the protagonist, she says, dégueulasse. Or she says, what is dégueulasse? Like, what, what is a bitch? Or what is disgusting? Dégueulasse's literal translation is disgusting, but in the context of that, that film, the Godard film, it means bitch. Hmm. And also in Squid and the Whale too, but I also read a when I was like kind of doing my research, my homework for this movie. Someone made a really interesting point in the YouTube comments is when Bernard says "de he calls uh, Joan a bitch, and the commenter said, "Well, de Gaulle's literal literal uh, translation is disgusting," so that just shows how you know shallow and uninformed um, Bernard is as a writer too. Right, yeah. <laughs> I guess it could be translated too. Like he's like <laughs> referring this movie, thinking it's like kind of smart, sort of this writery thing to say, but and he totally misses the point. And he's
1: like happy being in that situation of us because he thinks he's like winning the moment. But
0: the th- but it, did you see the movie um, Breathless? Did no, you see no. The last no. scene. So if, you, if I have the clip here.
1: Gee, I'm
3: qu'est-ce que c'est
2: dégueulasse
1: dégueulasse yes and again just the arrogance of like <laughs> you're in that moment you know <laughs> he, he the, has to go out as an artist you're going out as an artist as a hero to this yes And like you look back, you like fuck him, you know. Yeah, I know. The more
0: I watch the movie, the more I'm like disgusted of Bernard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh man, one of the lines I wrote: "Joint custody blows."
0: Oh, from one of it, one of Walt's friends. Yeah, yeah.
1: Joint custody (laughs) blows. That could be like a tagline of the film as well. There's so much in here that. Oh no,
0: it is. It's on the cover.
1: Oh my god! I didn't realize that. I'll have to like put that as like the sub the subtitle to this episode.
0: You want to talk about the soundtrack? Sure. Amazing soundtrack. Awesome soundtrack.
1: Uh, the soundtracks of movies at this time, good or bad? I would say from like 2005 to like 2010, maybe no, maybe a little bit sooner. Right, like high school to like the end of college influenced my musical taste so much.
0: I think two tracks on the the soundtrack of this movie is original. I think the tracks called Park Slope by Berta Phillips and Dean Wareham. And the other track, um, one of my favorites, Family Conference by the same artist. I think those two I might be wrong, but I think those two tracks were originally written for the movie.
1: Oh wow, cool. I mean I just love how it just again, it feels hipster-ish, you know, mm-hmm. um, in a good way. Uh, there's a song Holland Tunnel that I wrote down.
0: Great use of Drive by the Cars. as a huge song. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, um, figure eight Schoolhouse
0: Rock song.
1: Yeah. I, of course, hate you, but the Eisenberg version, maybe we'll play that instead. <laughs> like, at the time when you're making a quote-unquote indie movie, you gotta have a kick-ass soundtrack. That's probably true, too, as well, but especially back then, for me growing up, I loved like following along with the soundtrack and I don't know getting in that mood, right? Like before you before you got here, I was playing the soundtrack just getting in the mood of the film. Yeah.
0: I was listening to Hey You on the way here. <laughs> but like the music plays in the movie, but it's not so overwhelming the scene. It's, obviously Hey You is, it's us. Awesome. Yeah, but it's a very integral part of the plot. That's part but, like, of the plot, yeah. But the rest of the music is just it's just in the background it's just appropriate for the scene. It's not like It's not like the music makes a scene. The music just accompanies the scene.
1: I think that was so... just like Something of the time, right, for indie films that set it apart. If you watch, like, comedies, like Will Ferrell comedies or whatever, or Ben Stiller comedies of that era, it's so the opposite with the way they use music. You know, it's like, boom! A wham song! Boom! Like, it's just, like, cut in here. And that's why I loved, like, the subtlety of the soundtracks of these things. And again... Look, you have like Wes Anderson's who are cutting to music in a different kind of way. It's still cool, but it's not feeling like it's like these are not pop songs and I think it was very popular at the time. And it sounds silly to say now, but to put pop songs in your movies in the background and cut them for like 30-second blasts in your yeah. ear. And I again, I think
0: and I think that's how Wes Anderson uses his music is like the specific tracks in his in some of his scenes it's like it's a huge feature of that part of the movie
1: yeah but I think what he does that's different I know this is not a Wes Anderson podcast is that like he uses it almost similarly to the people at the time but he's not using like he's using the kinks but not like hits from the kinks if that makes sense you know mm-hmm. he's using Rolling Stone songs but, but not were, like the huge tracks yeah, yeah exactly so and that's a cool way to do it too because mm-hmm. you're using it in like a pop way as if it's a pop song. Sure. But it's not a pop song. Yeah, yeah, okay. I But like see what the you're Noah bombuck style, and I think so many artists would copy this later, just like slowly floating in the background. Right, right. <laughs> which is great, which is great. Let's I guess we'll talk about the ending. Just the way it ends, with that whole squid and the whale. What did you think of the ending here? The ambiguity of it that just he's his dad's in the hospital and his dad's like Oh, you know, let's uh let's have breakfast together. Get that nurse, hopefully the hot one or something along those lines. And he's like, sure. He gets the nurse and he just walks out and yeah, sees that. I
0: and- think I think I used to think it was more ambiguous until recently when you sort of connect the ending with his meeting with the psychologist um, because I think that really tells a lot of the space that Walt is in. Is he was he is viewing his current situation not through the proper lens of reality he's just looking at it almost like through his dad's eyes Mm -hmm. and for him to run off to run away from his dad in the first place and to finally confront the squid in the well diorama that's walt's transformation that's his that's his huge arc i think and and that sort of leaves oh maybe there is hope for walt that he finally sees his life and his parents' marriage and who his father is, who his mother is as it is, not in this sort of this tainted, biased way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, it's him, again, realizing his dad is human and a pretty flawed human mm-hmm. and just walking out, like you said, confronting what we learn is was one of his biggest childhood fears. Mm-hmm. I love it. I just love how it just... Ends, and again, I think there is ambiguity in a sense that it doesn't tie the loose ends. But you're right; there's not ambiguity in a sense that like we're confused, right? You know what I mean? I think we're left in a good place. We're left in a place like, okay, he's going to move on from here, hopefully. And I think, again, on this watch, I noticed more in particularly, it really says, "Hey, this is Walt's story." You know, we see the parents, we see them doing their things, but the fact that like it's called "The Squid and the Whale," it ends with him in that scene. And not just, like, in the literal sense, but also just, like, the framing of the story. This is Walt's story, largely, and that's what makes it a teen or a high school film to me. We get a lot of cool other characters. I understand that all, but the end scene is so important to me in all these films, for better or worse. And also, just side note, the fact that this is Noah Baumbach's, like, that's the character who's supposed to be him, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's uh, exhibited here, ironically, in front of an exhibit.
0: Yeah, I think the ending definitely tells me it's like, oh, this is, this is Walt's story. Because like, in the beginning, since the beginning, everybody kind of almost equally gets a similar attention. Is this a story about the family? Is this a story about Frank? Is this a story about Walt? Is this a story about Bernard and Joan? But I think at the end, it's, oh, this is Walt's story.
1: I read somewhere that said this. The squid and the whale is about division, clashing forces, mother and father, child and parent, intellectual and Philistine. I, just like Philistine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the appearance of things and their true nature. And I don't know. Like, I don't think we're supposed to like, write an essay. Like, I feel like it would be a very high school essay. Who is the squid in the movie and who is the whale? <laughs> that doesn't really matter. Right. But there is a lot of uh, reality versus like what you believe in. And isn't that life? Isn't that growing up? And at its essence, that's what makes this movie to me a teen movie because it really touches that awkward essence of like I don't know. The best way I can say it is literally like fuck. You know, mm. how many times have you said to yourself, "Oh, this is what I want to be," but this is what I'm doing for the money, for example, or like, "This is who I see myself," but this is who I actually am. This is who my parent, who I thought my parent was. I mean, that's literal, but that's true about everything perception reality and again that's growing up and selling out getting married these are all things that happen whatever but whether you're in a happy marriage or not like no one no one's life goes according to 100 percent as planned and it's just sad again that bernard he kind of thinks his life has gone that way even though it hasn't you know he believes he's like this beautiful true artist and, and when his son his teenage son kind of realizes fuck this guy kind of you know I'm not saying he's not going to talk to his dad I'm not saying anything like that but it is such a powerful moment that's when he kind of grows up you know that's when he takes his next step into at least attempting to grow up for lack of a better term divorcing himself from the narrative of who his father is mm-hmm. and realizing the actuality of the atmosphere around him
0: yeah one critic said he put it perfectly as the the squid and the whale is an allegory for deep hidden emotions
1: Mm. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And again, I'll, I'll say it for the millionth time, the fact that Noah Bamba can do this in 80 minutes is impressive. It, it's so efficient and, I don't know, again, bravo Noah. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to mention in regards to scenes and stuff in the movie? Uh, nothing I could think of. What about you? So let's move on to our awards. So this is a new award we've been giving out. Call most likely to succeed. I basically say it as like, who won the movie? Of all the characters here, who comes out the most on top to you? Like, set up for the future. Frank, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> please, please argue that. Um, what do you mean set up for the
0: future? By like, like who's who's who came out on top?
1: Yeah, which character here? Like, are you? I mean, honestly, just the way it ends, I'm just gonna say like. I believe that it's Walt because he's finally, like I said, divorced himself from it. Mm-hmm. But maybe, I don't know if it's the mom
0: or anything. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking either Joan or Walt. Because, right, like, yeah. Because Joan, she has she has some self-awareness to her. And at the, at the end of the day, she gets what she wants. Mm-hmm. And she never sees herself as a victim to her circumstances.
1: I think she definitely has ownership of it. But I, I'm still going to go with Walt because I feel like he's gained the most, you know. Joan would be like a second.
0: So that being said, I think Walt had the biggest metamorphosis.
1: Oh, <laughs> Kafka. Which is again, gift here. Shall we read some more Kafka for you guys? Yeah, let's, let's read another line. <laughs> a random Kafka yeah. line. The Penal Colony. I actually read this one. The officer remained mute, turned and approached the machine, took hold of one of the brass rods, and leaning back a little, gazed up at the designer as if to check that all was in order. The soldier and the condemned man seemed to have become quite friendly. The condemned man was gesturing to the soldier. The movement was difficult for him due to the tightly binding straps. The soldier bent down to him, and the condemned man whispered something in his ear. The soldier nodded. Very dense, but minor Kafka. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say Walt for that award. Next award, Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who you would have liked to see more of or explored a little more? Again, short runtime, 80 minutes. Let's say we could have 10 more minutes on a character. Who would it be?
0: Uh, just, just for the sake of fun, I would have loved to have seen Ivan's character more. <laughs> yeah. he, was, he, he was sort of like the comedic break. Yeah, he was. And like the tension and like the sort of the, you know, the, 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 the whole like... The movie is pretty depressing. It like, like it's got a very like sort of this glum sort of environment to it. And he
1: sort of breaks that ice. It's so weird when he like walks down the stairs when it's revealed that like she's dating yeah, him. So, yeah, like, oh fuck, you know? yeah. but it's hilarious. What's up, brother? Yeah, what's up, brother? <laughs> <laughs> There's a one point where um, Bernard like challenges him to a tennis match. You know, oh god. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with Ivan. Long duck Hong award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Anyone you would delete? Did anyone seem frivolous? Hmm. Nobody, I mean,
0: do I have to pick one? Because no, I, you don't, I feel cause... like everybody in this movie, I mean, it's small cast, very small, very tight cast. And... Again,
1: a tight 80 minutes, tight cast, yeah. no like little extra like silliness of like some yeah. joke character. And Ivan, again, he's in it enough. A little bit more would have been fun, but like I don't think it would have harmed the movie. There's no like also side storyline that maybe, maybe the stuff with Lily, but I think it was used effectively here. Again, I like the fact that Lily is an, the object of affection of the father and the son, fucked up and weird. So, yeah, I don't really, I didn't have an answer yeah, to Yeah, I wouldn't movie. cut anything. I,
0: I just wish a lot more movies were, was like like the format, was like more like The Squid and the Whale, like short runtime, tight cast, relatable story.
1: I'm going to sound like Bernard Berkman, but very dense writing. <laughs> because even Noah Baumbach isn't doing this anymore. Like, now that Netflix is like, oh, do what you want with this. Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. artists like to expand their stories like this, but it is nice to see. It's so rare to see a a film about divorce (laughs) be
0: 80 minutes. Would you say this would be equivalent to Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson?
1: Yeah, I could see that. Sort
0: of like first movie trying to feel its way through. Don't get me started on
1: Wes Anderson, but like, (laughs) I've been very disappointed in Wes Anderson. I like his modern movies, I think they're good. But I really wanted him to, when I was growing up around this time, I wanted him to go in more of the direction of uh, Darjeeling Limited or even, like, stuff that Rushmore touches and not, like, let's make a cute hotel movie. Mm-hmm. Again, not that those movies are bad, but he totally went in, like, the let's make a fun movie with my friends approach rather than let's touch these deep, dark topics. Right, right. Uh, and I think Noah ba- Baumbach is, like, he, he's he got a lot of that in him. And, like I, don't, I know you said you haven't seen Marriage Story, but that's like a, a movie about divorce mm. and a movie about hard things. I wish Wes Anderson, even in his style, would touch those kind of subjects again. Death, divorce. And I know he does in the movies, but ultimately, like Isle of Dogs, which I like, but it's fun. You know? <laughs> like, even... Well, well, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. If, yeah. I don't know. Wes Anderson has become a director really about him, his style and his actors. And it's great, but... I wish he got a little darker in his older years, I'll put sure. it that way. Yeah. All right. And by the way, Wes Anderson was one of the producers on this film. Yeah. All right, Cameron Fry Award. We don't see a lot of high schoolers, so it's hard to say, but that's an award for people who are look too old to be high schoolers. <laughs>
0: like everybody. Like not not everybody, I'm maybe uh some of Walt's friends.
1: Yeah, but even Walt too. Like really like they look more like college age, but yeah. not that bad. It's
0: also the eighties too. Like I feel like kids in during that 70s and 80s, even the 60s, like they look, they definitely look a lot older than like the kids in high school today. True, true. Because I don't know, maybe just life was just a lot more tough.
2: I,
1: I don't know. think hairstyles and outfits. Hairst- yeah, yeah, hairstyle and outfits. You see a 20 year old in, from the 80s and you're like, that looks like my mom now. You yeah, that's true. Actually, that, that is a, that is a good
0: observation. There wasn't really like, I mean, I'm sure it existed, but not in like mass culturally was like, oh, it's like teenage hairstyle. Like, teenage clothes it's like there weren't like hot topics and like no it was like you looked like an adult even when right you kids. just there was just clothes and hair that's it
1: <laughs> it's true i never thought of it that way yeah, yeah. was there was like little kids clothes and then once you're a teenager like dressed like mom with shoulder pads and yeah was,
0: but even the little kids clothes they were just the same clothes <laughs> as moms but they were just it was just smaller, <laughs> smaller yeah. yeah that's a good point
1: <laughs> so this movie is critically acclaimed uh 92 percent Thumbs up by the critics and Rotten Tomatoes. 81% by the audience, which is still good. But I could see, I don't expect everyone to like this film. You know what I mean? The other
0: uh, 19% are Philistines.
1: <laughs> Philistines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is not a Philistines film. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised it has 81%. 3.7 out of 5 from Letterboxd. And Letterboxd is for like the real film nerds. And that's a really good score. Mm-hmm. But we don't care about that. I have the manila card right here. This is the report card. It's got those black lines. I'm handing you the red pen. I'm sliding it across the table. I'm saying, Danny Kim, A plus to F. What will you grade, The Squid and the Whale? A plus. A plus. A plus.
0: 100. One of my one of my favorite movies of all time. Probably one of the most rewatched movies in my lifetime.
1: Again, it's so surprising that you haven't examined more films by Noah Baumbach because
0: Greenberg. I watched Greenberg, and I think that
1: was I think that was it. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I know we've talked about Alexander Payne on here, and you've seen almost all of Alexander Payne's films. if not all of them. P.T. Anderson, you've seen almost all, if not all of them, right? But, like, Noah Baumbach, like, I love this movie. Love yeah. Noah Baumbach, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know?
0: I, I haven't, uh, I think it's time to reach out to other Noah Baumbach movies. Yeah,
1: uh, definitely yeah. check them out. I gave this film an A. I love this film. I think it's great. I think it's it hits so many places inside of me that I needed in 2005 or 2006. I love watching it again today. It's such an influential film to me. I love again, I think everyone's favorite decade secretly, and they won't admit it, of film is the decade again when you from high school through college and maybe your early 20s. So many films I saw in that era I love Mm -hmm. and it's a weird, that's a weird decade to say, right? Like, oh, the 2000s, like the first decade of of the millennium. Like, it was so great in film. Because people usually don't say that, but it really was. There are really some gems there that stand out. And this is one of them that I don't think enough people talk about, The Squid and the Whale. I think it's one of those pretentious party movies. Like, you go to a Brooklyn party, like, yo, you see The Squid and the Whale? It's <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, man, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it's not something that everyone knows, you know? I'm glad Noam Bombach has his like multi million dollar deal with Netflix and he makes movies and he was nominated for an Oscar with marriage story.
0: I would have to say Squid and the Whale is like it's like the filmmaker's film. I think a lot of directors' first movies is the filmmaker's film because, you know, like I'm a photographer, you know, like I have
1: Mr. Time magazine.
0: I've done some work, <sighs> but like the movies that get me really excited as someone who produces work or tries to produce work or wants to produce work is when i see movies like this one that's you know like it's so within reach on a production level
1: yeah so 1.5 million they originally asked for 7 million they didn't get it well i don't even know what they would have done with the 7 million you know but
0: even in the aspect of like the small cast the story and what the story needs it's just it's a story about a family going to divorce like realistically all of us can make that movie we all have access to some people and a camera mm. but all you need is some good writing and some camera work behind it and it's movies like this where you know i feel like well i could make this movie now i'm I'm not saying like oh i could make a squid in the whale like on that level but it's like it's very possible to make a movie about a family going to divorce and versus like I'm going to film face-off. You know? <laughs> you, know you understand what I'm You're so right. honestly, yeah.
1: I, I don't want to be one of those guys, but I don't know if they still make movies like this that make you feel that way. Maybe that feel that way to us because of like when we saw it and our like, more formative years. Maybe I'm not seeing them or feeling that. But that's what I felt when I saw this movie. That's what I felt when I saw early Wes Anderson films. I know, again... Despite the silliness that's happening in, the, in those things, right? That's what I felt when I saw pretty much everything our film teacher would show. Not everything our film teacher would show us, but like indie films of that era. Like, oh, I could write this because I, I, it feels real. It feels honest. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like, again, Will Ferrell ice skating in the Olympics. You know what I mean? And it's within reach. Exactly. It, the, the
0: production is within reach of what you have in front of you
1: you know it is a period piece but it's not a heavy period piece yeah. if you watch it it's just fashion and the cars on the road yeah and they're not using cell phones and things like that and it,
0: and it doesn't it like you can write the same story take place in 2010 yeah would know? be mm-hmm. it's
1: a period piece because it's about his life but you're absolutely right but think about that do you think the movie would be
0: different if it did take place present time
1: i don't think much how like
0: it wouldn't right it would be, still so. be the same
1: i don't think i'm trying to think Maybe the aesthetic of it, obviously. Right. That's why I said the first time, a couple of times I watched it, I didn't realize it was in the 80s because hmm. even the movies that they show, I figured, oh, you know, Brooklyn, they screen old movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it doesn't hit you home. It's like President Reagan. You know, I hate those movies <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Like we're just like, oh, really obviously. Like, <laughs> yes. like Mad Men. Yeah, hey, you see, Kennedy says he's going to get people on the moon. That'll never happen. You know, <laughs> I hate that shit sometimes. <laughs> Subtly in your decade, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> i think that's what i meant by how it uses the setting very subtly
1: subtly yeah like you said it could happen anytime in any place mm-hmm. all right so we both have good grades here this is kind of a weird question but i think i think we can answer it we're at our slumber party and you're bringing a sleeping bag that's squid and the whale themed what does it look like hmm. i mean the obvious answer would be just like the squid and the whale from yeah, the history yeah. Natural history yeah I would say the other obvious answer would be the shirt you're wearing here with a black, I mean, with a blue and white stripes, you know, (laughs) kind of like nautical, plain (laughs) eighties. I'm going to go with like Bernard wears so many like tweed jackets. So I'm going to go with like an uncomfortable, like tweed looking sleeping bag, like his maybe like some patches on them. Who knows? Very Brooklyn, very like I'm a writer kind of thing.
0: I think I would have a sleeping bag that would be graphically designed showing all the
1: kafka book covers. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Or maybe just one that is just like a roach. Like that's what he turns Our into. A big roach, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, like a roach, a roach-shaped sleeping bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little headpiece. I love it. <laughs> all right, my favorite question every week. You and I are in the magical magical blockbuster, which is interesting because we both discovered this at a blockbuster. And This magical blockbuster has every movie that has ever existed. We know we're watching The Squid and the Whale at this slumber party, but we get to the counter, and I see a sign, and it says, rent two movies, get one free. And I said, Danny, go to the back. I'll keep our place in line. Get two other movies. We're going to watch three movies tonight. What two other movies are we watching for this slumber party? Wow. Um, it's a crazy question. It's got to
0: be like a Christopher Columbus movie. A a family (laughs) Christopher Columbus. Just, just. A complete <laughs> contrast of the '80s. Like, is, wasn't Uncle Buck? Was Uncle Buck a Christopher Columbus? It's lady? like a John Hughes. John Hughes, Christopher I, Columbus. I, be-
1: I, I gotta see if Uncle Buck is Christopher. I know it's definitely John Hughes written. Let's see, Uncle. Buck. I love Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. No, just directed by John Hughes, but still. Oh, okay. It, I mean. right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, let me think
0: about it though. it'd be a good pairing with a Wes Anderson Uh, movie but which one it
1: would be let me think so you say by the way that this reminds you of Bottle Rocket but to me now that we talk about it kind of reminds me of like Rushmore a little bit more because it's it's not his first film technically though I haven't seen the other films like the films before this one is called Mm -hmm. uh, Kicking and Screaming is one of them and that's not like the Will Will Ferrell version and Highball is another one um, I haven't seen them. Also, a film called Mr. Jealousy. Again, I don't know these movies. The Squid and the Whale, to me, is his breakout movie. I would I would
0: go with Rushmore.
1: Yeah, Rushmore. Yeah. I was going to say Rushmore is a good choice because it feel, that's Wes Anderson's coming-of-age movie. Wes Anderson has compared that a lot to him growing up, even though he wasn't necessarily like that kid. Rushmore and Squid and the Whale definitely pair well together.
0: And the third movie would be... Abu des Soufflés 1960 by Jean-Luc Godard.
1: Ooh, referenced in the movie. Absolutely. Would make yeah. sense. French Ooh. New Wave. French New Wave. Ooh, love it, love it. That's a really, really great pairing there. Squid and the Whale. Uh, what's the movie called? Um, we'll call it Breathless. Breathless. By Jean-Luc Godard. And, of course, Rushmore, a movie we've covered here. Well, Dan, this was an absolute pleasure. Loved watching this again. Love talking about it. I love just revisiting this subject matter. You'll be on again. We already have some ideas. You've made some good suggestions. Oh,
0: I want to... Oh, can, I, can I Can I? say which movie I want to talk about next?
1: Can I <laughs> well, announce it here? Well, sure. But, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be next for scheduling reasons, but what else? You can announce it. What else um, do you want to be on?
0: I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen clips of it, and it just really caught my attention next movie I want to talk about is 187
1: 187 is that a high school starring
0: Samuel Jackson yes it's a high school movie it's about um, starring star Samuel Jackson who plays a Los Angeles teacher caught in a gang trouble in an urban high school.
1: <laughs> Love those kind of movies, yeah. 187 will get you on. Uh, you mentioned Elephant. I definitely want to talk about Elephant. Oh yeah, Elephant.
0: I, have you talked? You haven't talked about no, that? No, okay. No, we can name. do Elephant too, yeah.
1: I wrote your name down for that. And then okay. I got, I want you on an episode with Chris as well because we haven't I like to pair my friends with different groups. You've done one okay. with Kyle. I want you to get on an episode with Chris as well, but glad to have you on again. Always appreciate it. Where can people follow you, find you? You said your photos were in Time magazine again recently.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I had a um, a couple of photos, and I forget which issue it was. It must have been like January, second week of January, just when the vaccines came out.
1: Oh, whatever. Time. time. (laughs) Did you say like people at work were like being like, when you said something. Like, All right, Mr. Time Magazine. Yeah, if
0: if, some, if we're like in a situation, like I'd be the voice of reason. They'd be like, oh, okay, Mr. Time Magazine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it. You just have
1: to appreciate that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Because if you were in that position, it would be funny to say it to Absolutely. you, too. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I would be the first person to say that. <laughs> It's so great so great so uh, i know you're an instagram guy Are you still instagramming these days uh yeah
0: i still have an instagram account d-a-n-n-k-5-3 and that's where you could find me
1: well thanks so much obviously we'll have you on again appreciate it Anna.
0: thanks for having me love talking about this movie
1: <laughs> big thank you to dan kim for coming on and talking the squid and the whale heavy talk Good talk. I loved having that conversation. Love listening back to that conversation. It got real. It got very real at some points. And always appreciate having Dan Kim on. He's got a great eye for a film like this. We'll have him on again very soon. I can promise you that. So, homework for next week, next Friday. We're going to watch a film. Mike Manzi recommended it. You know Mike Manzi. He's the most guested person on High School Slumber Party ever. It's called If.
3: This is an English public school. This is where Britain raised its empire, builders of yesterday, and still trains its leaders of tomorrow. This is the unchanging English public school. This is where you still learn to play the game. the angles of the other. Understand pretty? Yes, sir. Good! Far from home, far from your family, you learn what to expect from life. Just remember, that life here is a matter of give and take. We are your new family, and you must expect the rough and tumble that goes with any family life. In this world, you have to watch out for yourself and obey the rules, as in the world outside. But some people are born to break the rules. New three have become a danger to the morale of the whole house. And we've decided to beat you for it. I serve the nation. You haven't the slightest idea what it means, have you? You mean that bit of wool on your tit. its freedom and excitement, its visions and its dreams. This is the world of youth, the world of fantasy that sometimes turns to strange violence.
2: Look at me. I'll kill
3: you. You won't forget them. Christine Noonan as the girl. Malcolm McDowell as Mick the rebel. Richard Warwick, And David Wood as his friends who share a secret loyalty. Three young people who reject a world that the old have made and decide to take things into their own hands. If may shock you, it will surely surprise you. It's a film that will make you take sides. Which side will you be on?
1: If sounds interesting, I love those old school trailers. So once again, Mike Manzi will be here on Friday. Remember, guys, class participation huge part of your grade. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening today. Oh, one more thing. Moxie came out over the week. A lot of good reviews from people. Can't wait to talk about it. I promise we're going to have a Moxie episode soon. A lot of special things going around Moxie and special things happening on High School Slumber Party these days. So listen for that and check that out. Follow us on social media for all the latest High School Slumber Party updates. And remember, guys, one more thing. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Dan Kim mentioned this song on the pod, so I figured let's close out with it. Park Slope by Britta Phillips. Off the Squid and the Whale soundtrack. Later, dudes.